We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 276. Our guest today is a professional show jumper located at Rising Star Equestrian in California. She loves working with off-the-track thoroughbreds and rehoming them, as well as retraining them from racing to show jumping. I think that this concept is absolutely incredible because it really involves a lot of work and effort and patience and time for a thoroughbred to completely make a life change, something that they instinctively do so well, which is racing, and then moving that into incorporating jumps and and everything involved in putting in a good show jumping round. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, Amanda Gomez. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, tell me how you first got started in the horse world. Well, a lot of people pretty much know my background, my dad being a jockey. So I pretty much was born into it. My mom dabbled in uh, show jumping when she was younger. So that was just kind of an easy in for me. Um, something that of course wasn't as intimidating as the racehorses right on the backside. So that's where I went. I decided that I loved horses, of course. And she took me and started teaching me from the ground up. And that's where I am now. Amazing. I love that. You are now a professional show jumper with an awesome string of horses, but I feel like there's one incredibly special one in your string. Tell us a little bit about All Star and how he came into your life. Yeah, he is, of course, extremely special. Um, He's the last horse that my dad ever bred when he was with us here. So he had, of course, he rode a lot of races and did everything that He did on the track, which was amazing. Coming from his daughter made me a little bit biased, but a lot of people (laughs) agreed with me. One of the best jockeys to ever live. So he was, of course, very passionate about the horses with their life on the track, before the track, after the track. Um, So towards the end of his career, he dabbled in breeding a little bit here and there. And he had a breeding right to Pioneer of the Nile, um, which a lot of people knew that he rode in the Derby. So he had a choice between riding Pioneer the Nile or Dunkirk. And my mom and him were talking about whether or not Pioneer the Nile or Dunkirk was the correct decision. And they asked both parties if they would give him a breeding right to the horse if he rode the horse in the Derby. And the connections of Pioneer the Nile said yes. So he decided that he would ride Pioneer the Nile in the Derby and got a breeding right. And it was a lifetime. So he could breed to him as, as long as he was alive. And that's how Ben came to be. And of course, (laughs) being a pioneer of the Nile APND, which is a super royal pedigree on the the racetrack, they wanted him to run so bad. But not all horses have that drive, right? Pedigree or no pedigree. And he decided he didn't want to run. So I took him and here we are. I mean, I feel like that's such an incredible, you know, like, starting point for Ben and like such a cool transition but knowing obviously this wasn't necessarily his original intention and original um 
job, but tell me a little bit about that process or even before that process, what kind of, I do, was it just kind of the drive that made it obvious that racing wasn't necessarily the career path for Ben? Yeah, well, it's actually a really interesting and quite funny story. When he was a yearling, we had somebody out to look at him for, of course, a racehorse. And we turned him on in the pasture because he wanted to see him move. And he ended up jumping out of the pasture. And I looked (laughs) at his mom and I laughed and I said, that's going to be my Grand Prix horse. And of course, being like 150,000 a breed to Pioneer the Nile at the time, she looks at me and laughs and says, absolutely not, Amanda, you're insane. No way, not happening. And fast forwarding today, it's kind of funny to look back and say, like, I, in that moment, laughed about one day having him jump and he ended up being one of the most special horses that I've ever come across. Um, But with him, after the races, we pretty much knew he was last. He ran twice. He had no desire to run at all, but he did. He he has a very strong drive to jump. Did I know that at the time? No, but of course we had to give him something else to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So our process, when we get him off the track, we give him a couple months off with him. I want to say I gave him, six to seven months just to kind of decompress, be a horse, have no pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just slowly started him. He's super, super scopy. He's very careful. So even when he was younger, I had to take everything so slow with him and just make sure that he was always super confident because he wanted to do right all the time. So he almost tried too hard, but he's been such an incredible horse and just taking the time with him and developing him the right way has been just incredible. And He's shown everybody what he can do. And I definitely know he's not done yet. Yeah, absolutely. And thoroughbreds have clearly always been a part of your life. And you're super passionate about promoting the breed through your training. Why do you feel like this has been such an important part of your ethos and and your training and your career? Yeah, well, going back a, a few minutes ago, like I talked about, my dad was always very passionate about the horses before their life on the track, while they were on the track, and especially after the track. Mm. For a while there, there were so many stories about these people saying the trainers are throwing the horses away after the track, they're worthless after the track, which is so not true. Don't get me wrong, there are a few people that definitely don't do as good in the industry um, as to when they come off the track, but most of these trainers are really passionate about making sure that the horses end up in good in good places and have jobs after the track or have a nice place to retire when they're done. Um, especially the stakes horses always want to make sure that they um, live out the rest of their life doing well because they give a lot of heart and pretty much everything they have when they're on the track. So my dad just, I have that passion to make sure all these horses end up in the same spot in a good spot. Always, always, always safe. Right. So that's kind of where that drive comes from. I just, I think it's a legacy that he left behind and that passion definitely is deep inside me as well. And, and these horses gave my dad his career for so many years and supported our family for so many years. Um, the least I can do is promote them and they're an incredible breed. Yeah. I know your dad had passed away a few years ago. Do you feel like, you know, obviously I'm sure that affected you and your relationship to riding in horses How was that or how did that kind of like shape you into the rider that you are and moving forward? Yeah, it was an extremely hard time as, as I mean, anybody could assume watching there. I could not watch the races. I want to say for four or five years, I physically could not do it. Yeah. But 
like I said, he, it was his passion and I can't sit and walk away and not promote these incredible horses that need the help. Right. Not everybody. I mean, you look on Facebook, most of the ads are ISO warm blood, no thoroughbreds. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just sad to me because these thoroughbreds are so incredible and don't get me wrong. They're a little bit different than the warm bloods. They're not so deadheadish. They definitely need a, a specific type of program, but as long as you can get the program correct and ride the, I mean, just soft ride and enjoy your time with them. There's no reason that they can't be just as good as the warm bloods like they were back in the day. And definitely. like I said, it's, it's definitely hard to, look back on the days where my dad was riding but again he was so passionate about making sure that the horses ended up in safe landings that I definitely need to promote them and and do what I can and continue to show everybody what they can do what is the dynamic like in um especially like obviously as you've alluded to the idea of doing the grand prix having it you know pretty much be dominated by uh, several, you know, like almost all of them are warm bloods. Tell me a little bit about what's that, what is that like for you? What's the dynamic like? What, it, what is kind of, what's the feeling that, that you get either from others or, or even within yourself as far as, you know, being able to show them off and, and give them, you know, continue kind of that legacy and, and keep up that name. I feel like it's kind of, it must be a little bit of pressure too, because you're, you know, doing something maybe that, that a lot of other um, show jumpers aren't doing right now. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. It's very, very special. When I won the, the first Grand Prix in Huntington beach, um, there were many tears shed. It was really cute. Cause when my friend, uh, she, they all, everybody knows how special it, it was to me. Yeah. And, and that being a life, it, it definitely was a lifetime goal from the second that I saw how passionate my dad was about the aftercare on these horses. That was my goal. I wanted to win a Grand Prix on a thoroughbred. And I want to say two years ago, he jumped, Ben jumped clear in some Grand Prix up in Sacramento. I want to say it was a West Palm show as well. And that was such a huge moment for me because I could feel like I was so close, right? So close. And um, I want to say he had one or two down in the jump off, but I just, he was green and jump, going into the jump off um, in Huntington beach, just knowing that, that he was on his a game. And as long as I, I walked in the ring and I looked at my mom and said, as long as I ride good, he should, there's no reason he shouldn't win this. And um, it just all came together that day and it was really special. And I just walked out of the ring and there were tears flowing. Mm. It was, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for a better day for sure. And my friends were so supportive and everybody could see how special it was to me. And it definitely a lifetime goal achieved that day. So it was really special. And my mom was very, very excited as well, knowing again, how important it was to me to, to do this one day. Mm -hmm. so. And I mean, I feel like that's a huge accomplishment being your first year as a professional and you already yeah. have a Grand Prix win. That's amazing. Yeah. What was the transition like from junior to professional for you? Honestly, I when I was a junior, I, it was pretty much the same type of situation. Just ride mine. If anybody wanted me to ride theirs here and there, catch ride a few. Right. Uh, but I never really had like the junior path. It wasn't mm -hmm. like equitation here and there. I mean, I would dabble in, in the EC. I would dabble in the hunters, but I never had 
just a direct, like I have a jumper, I have an equitation horse, I have a hunter. I never had that type of career. I was always mainly focused on the jumpers. I knew what I wanted to do. And um, I'm thankful that I have an amazing team behind me that I had a, a good enough foundation to not have to do the equitation all the time. Um, so not really much has changed. So it's just ride mine, um, develop my horses. And then of course, now I have a training program here and I get to help teach, which I'm super passionate about as well. I love watching these these girls learn and being a part of it is, is super fun. But yeah, not, not a, a lot has changed, but I'm really thankful because going into your first year as a professional can really make or break you. And I'm thankful to have the success I have so far, especially like, like we talked about being on Ben is, is even extra special. So I, yeah, I don't know. I just looking back, it's just, I think the one word is just grateful. I'm just extremely grateful for everybody involved in, in the success behind our team. What is it like working with your mom, who is also a trainer? It's, it can be hit and miss, honestly. <laughs> you know, the relationship between a parent and, and child can, um, can be different, but totally. we, the love is there. And honestly, I wouldn't have wanted it any, any other way. She, yeah, I, it's, it's very special. I'm so grateful for her. And she allows me to learn from different people too, which I think is, is, a crucial part of developing a rider is being able to learn from everybody that you can watching. I mean, talking to, I have a lot of people that if I'm struggling, I can pick up my phone and call because she allows me to do that, which is extremely crucial for me. Um, just to be able to hear opinions from different people. And of course her opinion always is incredible as well. So just, yeah, I mean, having so many sources of incredible information behind me is, is really incredible. Do you ever look at incredible horse show setups or a really well turned out horse at the horse show and they have the perfect scrim that's monogrammed and color coordinated or just stunning tack room drapes at the horse show? Well, the clothes horse has been manufacturing custom made horse blankets, tack room drapes, trunk covers since 1972. Every single order is taken and entered into a computer as a custom order. So all the details are spelled out according to the customer's specific requests and needs. Then each individual order is cut in chronological order, one piece at a time by hand. I can't think of hardly, I mean, really any businesses that still do that today. I think their attention to detail is absolutely incredible. So if you are looking for blankets, tack room stuff, or maybe just an incredible horse show setup, go check out The Clothes Horse. It's The Clothes Horse, C-L-O-T-H-E-S dot com and learn a little bit about all the different products that they have and the services they offer. Again, that's theclotheshorse.com. Aside from riding and training, you've also bred a few horses at home, some of whom you're also showing. Uh, what is that kind of process like? And, and tell me a little bit. Obviously, that's something that takes a lot of time and patience and, and careful planning and training. What, what has that been like for you, kind of seeing them from the beginning to now having some success with them in the ring? Yeah, that's been super fun. Again, it's kind of circling back to like watching my dad do it, right? When I was young, he was he was breeding the thoroughbreds. And ever since then, I just, I thought it was really interesting watching them from when they were born all the way to running races on the track. It Just being able to sit back, watch and learn was was really 
um, interesting to me at the time. So circling back, I want to say it was 2016 and I decided that I wanted to breed my first foal and I was totally obsessed with flexible and how, um, just incredible he was. That horse had the biggest heart I've ever seen. And, um, a lot has happened since then, of course, but I just knew I loved the horse and I wanted a baby of his. So I ended up breeding to him and it was one of our thoroughbred mares. So the filly was born in 2017 and that's my five-year-old that I was showing this year. She ended up winning five-year-old champion of the West Coast. That was really special. Yeah, especially being the first one I've ever bred, right? To win the first, the five-year-old championship. So that was really, really neat. But it was definitely something that I knew from the beginning that I wanted to do. And it's not something I'm going to focus on building my career off of necessarily. But it's really, um, I'm very lucky to have the facility here that allows me to breed maybe one or two a year. So that's something that I'll, I'll always have in the back just kind of going on as I'm I'm showing and doing the rest of the things on on the west coast and hopefully on the east coast here soon but yeah it's I love it I'm very passionate about it as well and it's it's really it's really interesting and and cool to be able to see these horses develop from their first days to winning the championships on the young horse division so So cool. Obviously, you've alluded to the idea of understanding the training process and program for a thoroughbred as a jumper. Tell me a little bit. um, Give me, I guess, the rundown of some things that maybe make it a different program than that of a warm bloods program. Yeah, it's taken a lot of years. And I think being familiar with how they're ridden on the track and knowing what goes on in the backside and how they're treated and and what their everyday routine looks like has really been a crucial part of their program here. Like I said, being able to give them a couple of months just to decompress, in my opinion, is extremely crucial. They just need that time to to rest and and recover from the, the strenuous work that they do at the track. It's It's a totally different program and they're so extremely fit, right? And I actually had the the pleasure to go out and gallop a couple of times at, at Santa Anita. And it, it really opened my eyes to what these horses do on the track, because of course I, I grew up on the backside and I got to watch them gallop and got to watch them work every morning. And, and uh, of course was at the track when they run. Right. But being on the back of one of those horses, why galloping, you have no idea how strong they are and how fit they are. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that really opened my eyes to what they're expected to do on the racetrack versus what we expect them to be on the hunter jumper circuit, right? Definitely. So it's such a different idea of, of work. We want them soft in the bridle. We want them slow and supple with the bigger step. And on the track, they want them iron jawed, dragging you with a huge right. stride. So it's it's just so different. And I think the the best part for me was just to understand how different, like I said, the work is. Mm-hmm. It's so different. You have to take the time and, and really make sure that they're understanding because for them, they don't understand. They just came off the racetrack right. and they have to do something completely different. Right. Right. And you usually start with like, because I feel like maybe like a common problem that people might have is like a thoroughbred rushing the jumps or getting, you know, like kind of having that um, where they kind of are dragging you like 
from what they did when they were racing, like what they knew. Um, Do you usually bring the jumps like way, way down, get that, like have a certain process to get them to not rush the jumps and use their body differently? Usually we just start them with poles in the ground and just slowly build up. But I think the, the best thing my mom has ever told me was it takes two to start a war, right? Mm. So when you're galloping a horse in the racetrack and they're pulling, you're pulling back, right? So that's what they look for. If you're on a a horse that just came off the racetrack and you feel like they're strong, so you start pulling, that's kind of their cue to, okay, take a hold of the bridle and let's go. So that's the biggest thing. When that clicked in my head, restarting all these thoroughbreds, I'm like, oh my goodness, as long as you don't start to pull when they get strong, that they never have that cue to, okay, it's time to work, right? So that that was really life-changing for me, just that one little sentence. I'm like, mm-hmm. that really makes sense. Um, and of course, they're really not used to having leg on their side either. So right. taking the time to introduce the leg and and what it means rather than just run away from it, right, is huge. It's just about the flat work changing all the flat work from being strong, taking a hold of the bridle and and that meaning go to that meaning, okay, slow down and back up away from the mm-hmm. bridle. It's so, so different. And I think um, my best advice to anybody that is is restarting one is just be extremely familiar with what goes on on the backside mm-hmm. and what their program look, looks like and, and how they're ridden on the backside before you restart one, because it'll really open your eyes and understand and you'll probably change how you do things. Definitely. What would you say is something that you are especially passionate about in the industry that you feel like people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about? I am super passionate about retirement, whether that being my warm bloods, whether that being a stake horse that can't maybe have a new career, whether that's one of my horses that maybe has some time that needs to be taken off that can't jump as big anymore. I'm extremely passionate about retirement. And it's just, again, it circles back to making sure every horse has a soft landing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so passionate about happy endings for all of these horses that give us what they have, right? And again, whether it's it's a little cross rail lesson pony or if it's a, a big warm blood that jumps the meter 50s, they all deserve to have a happy ending. And Thank goodness it's gotten a lot better in my opinion in recent years, but there, there was a couple of years there where people would just kind of throw them away and mm-hmm. not want them on their bill. And I am so grateful to have a facility here where I have my meter children's jumper sitting in, in a pasture in our, in our uh, farm. Mm-hmm. And I want to say she's pushing like 30 and <laughs> she's just living her happy life. And I'm so grateful to be able to provide that for her because at the time, maybe she was only a children's jumper, but she gave me every bit of what she had in her gas tank at that time. And I owe her a lot for that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely something that you need to take into major account is, you know, horses are just like you know, in this regard, any other pet or any other thing that you take on, like the initial investment in a horse is you are responsible for that horse for the rest of their life. And so whether, 
I mean, it's a, I think it's amazing that you have a, a setup where you can really be able to have them a part of your life for the rest of their life. What, what would you recommend? I mean, are there good programs or things set up that you know of that are good places, maybe for people who, who maybe aren't able to keep them in their backyard or, or have a good situation, but they, they want to make sure that they're someplace where they can be happy? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, places, I, at least in California, that I know of that that are willing to take on retirement horses. Yeah. And and just because, like I said, they're retired for maybe what you expect of them, right. doesn't mean that they can't go teach little up-down lessons and stuff like that. And I know there are a lot of places that look for horses like that. Mm-hmm. And even there's a place out here called like Leaps and Bounds, and they teach like special needs lessons. And, sure. and they always look for horses that maybe can just walk around and, mm-hmm. and give these kids the opportunity to sit on horses and learn about them and, and, um, do what we do. So there's plenty of opportunity out there and people that are willing to help if you don't have the facility or the needs to, to make it a a reality for them. Right. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's something that I've always been super passionate about. And these horses give us their world and everything Mm -hmm. that they have. And I think we owe it to them to make sure that they have a soft landing always. Right. Besides for, you know, obviously soundness indications, what are some clues or, or things that you kind of look for with a horse maybe telling you that they maybe need to take a step down in their job or they're ready kind of for that retirement process? Yeah. One of my biggest things is I always want to retire before something makes them, right? Right. Before like soundness even comes into consideration. Exactly. Before Mm -hmm. I always want them to retire sound and happy. Of course, there are times when that's not possible because anything can happen in our industry there's so many clues that, that tell us. And and when they start to not maybe enjoy their job so much and, and you can tell that their, their joints are getting a little upset or just stuff like that. I have my one um, high junior jumper here. He's 18. And one of our little kids is leasing him and like doing the nineties on him. So I just, and for me, that's, that's how retirement starts. I'm not going to jump him in the meter forties until he's 18 and then have him, tell me like immediately we're done. Right. Mm-hmm. Want him to enjoy his job. He loves his job and do something where maybe it's easier for him and he can still enjoy what he does and have fun and get out every day and be loved on. And I like them to be able to do it as long as they want. And maybe that doesn't mean at the highest level or what we expect of them at their most. And I think that's the best way to go about it. And in, in my, um, in my personal program, because like I said, most of my horses really enjoy it. And as long as they're rideable for these little kids to, to go out there and learn from them, there's, he has so much wisdom to teach. And I think it's really special being able to watch him continue do what he, doing what he loves. And, and one day we'll slowly back off of him and, and probably retire him here pretty soon, but he's right now enjoying what he does. And, and I want him to be able to continue to do that. Amazing. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and this huge kind of transition and exciting trajectory of now riding as a professional. And I think it's so exciting to see what you're doing and the impact you have on the thoroughbred world and really incorporating them at a high level. I think that that's amazing and super inspiring. So I wish you all the best and I'm excited to continue to watch your journey. Thank you so much. It's been really special and thank you for having me on. 
All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.